The business model that you choose affects absolutely everything about how you do business from what you do on a daily basis to how much money you make and how you make that money to how much time you spend working each week. So obviously choosing this business model is a really important decision. Far too often, this is a decision that isn't even consciously made, but just accepted as a default aspect of the type of business that you are building or the industry in which you're building your business. So let's change that. Let's open up our eyes to the different options and make a conscious decision about the business model that's really right for our businesses, our customers, ourselves, and our personal goals. This episode is one of a series we're currently doing on business models. In each episode, I'm interviewing a business owner about their business model, how it works, how they make money, what all it entails, so that you can learn about your different options and make that choice. We became entrepreneurs because more than anything, we want freedom. We want to be in control of our own schedule, income, and life. But unfortunately, that isn't always the reality of being a business owner. I'm Gillian Perkins, and I'm on a mission to take back entrepreneurship for what it's supposed to be. In every episode, I'll share with you how to get the most out of every hour you work so that you can work less and earn more. Let's get to it. Hey there, Natalie. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Gillian. It's awesome to be here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really excited to have you here because you run a software company and this is a business model that is really interesting to me and I don't know basically anything about it. So I know that this is going to be a really educational episode for me as well. So to start out, can you just tell us a little bit about your company, what you do and what the products you sell are? We are a WordPress plug-in company and we essentially sell as a service. So software as a service, it's a recurring fee and not all plugins are like that. So that's why I bring that up um, because I do think that some plugins you just pay once and then you're kind of done. And for us, we wanted it to be kind of a co-creation relationship with our customers where we keep making it better and better year after year. So that's why we went with that model. So we actually have a couple different plugins, but our main one is called Access Ally and it's a plugin that helps you create, sell, and deliver online courses, memberships, and other kind of digital products. And then we also have a pop-up plugin that helps you, you know, build your email list and get people to give you their email address in exchange for something. And sometimes that goes into a course too. So I'm really curious what went into the process of creating the software, even before we get into the, like, how do you make money as a company? How do you market it? And all of that sort of stuff. Just how did you even start this? Are you a software developer yourself? Did you hire people? What did that look like? Tell me the story. I went to university to study software engineering. So I do have the software background and I worked in Silicon Valley and on Wall Street as a developer, um, as an intern actually. And then when I graduated from my university degree, I was like, you know what? I don't feel like taking this job offer that I had to go work on Wall Street is the right thing for me. I could just kind of see myself, you know, 40 or 50 years old and just looking back and kind of feeling like that wasn't the right decision. So I decided to turn down that job, start my first business out of college, and it was actually not a software business, although I tried to bring software into my business at that point. So it was a healthy eating business where I basically kind of did health coaching, essentially, and that was just my personal passion. And I developed something called the Magic Menu, which was a little drag and drop menu creator. And so I coded that whole thing. And, you know, today there's like way better apps that do that for you. 
Um, but at the time, I felt like it was pretty cutting edge, but I couldn't get a ton of people to sign up for it. So, and I also knew like I didn't have the, the nutrition background. Like I thought maybe if I wanna do this nutrition thing, I should go back to school and really study nutrition. So I decided to kind of pivot. I ended up designing websites for a while and kind of learned the ropes of online marketing through that business and through my first business of what worked, what didn't work. And then eventually I realized that a lot of people who were coming to me who wanted to have like really gorgeous opt-ins on their website to collect email addresses, it would have to be coded from scratch. There were no good options on the market for them to have that uh, option. So I was like, okay, well, I could create a plugin that does it for them. And then they could basically drag and drop and create something uh, themselves on their own website. So that was sort of the beginning of realizing like, okay, there's a need for this and I think we could do this. But I wasn't quite ready to jump full steam into software development and a software business yet. So at that time, I still sold online courses and I kind of, I did so many things. <laughs> it's kind of hard to keep track, but I was selling online courses. I was doing coaching and consulting and my business was doing so well that I was like, okay, my husband could retire from his job or quit his job. And if he joined me, because he's also a developer, then I feel like I would be really confident in going full steam ahead on the software side of things, which is, it took a lot of convincing. He actually did not want to quit his job. And he, it really like, it was like a, a ego thing, I think for, for, you know, his job and his career, but he's very glad that he has done that now. But yeah, so he decided to join the company full time. And that's when we started really focusing on the software. And, but in the back of my mind, I knew that I couldn't keep doing consulting and coaching and client work because I wanted to start a family. And I knew that I wanted to be able to step away a little bit from work or the everyday kind of contact with clients. So that was why to me, the software felt like a really great step in that direction because we could you know, have the software out there and then I don't have to be on calls or doing all kinds of things with clients all the time. So that was also kind of a joint decision of, you know, let's go in on the software side together that way. So I have to ask you, is it everything you dreamed or did it turn out to be a lot more work than you were expecting? I don't think that a software business is necessarily easier than a coaching business or an info product or a course business. And uh, when we get to the numbers and like how much we pay other people to do things in the business, you'll kind of see the reality of that. I think for me, it's great because I get to use my background in software and I feel like I didn't waste my degree. <laughs> and, you know, I went into <laughs> software because I loved it in the first place. So, you know, there was a part of me that kind of missed that. And that's why I tried to incorporate it into the other things I was doing. But I feel like this actually like fits what I love doing, the clients I love helping and my passion for marketing and like courses and all of that stuff kind of all wrapped into one. I don't think it's necessarily easier. There's like other aspects of it, like support, right? So we have two full-time support people and, you know, we have someone else on our team that basically does sales calls. So we, we've definitely hired up and kind of grown the team as the company has grown too. Did it at least provide you with the more flexibility you wanted so that you weren't tied to like working specific hours with clients and that sort of thing? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I pretty much almost never, I mean, sometimes I dip into the support side of things, but I pretty much don't interface with clients unless I want to. So, you know, I do have, uh, you know, jump into our Facebook group or, you know, sometimes I'll get on a call with a client just to kind of understand what they're trying to do or see how we can, you know, improve the software based on their needs and stuff like that. But yeah, it has definitely made a huge difference. And I was able to take time off when I had both of my kids, you know, I took about three months 
each time to just kind of, you know, be in that baby bubble and, and really kind of soak up that experience. And I don't think I would have been able to do that if I was running, you know, a mastermind with like a coach or, you know, coaching with a launch and all that stuff that has to happen. So I do feel like it gave me that. And also the other really great thing about software as a service, especially is the recurring revenue, right? So I don't need to be making a ton of sales all the time or doing launches. It's very stable, which is something that I absolutely appreciate as an entrepreneur because you never quite know, right? It, things could change and, you know, maybe the market shifts with an online course and suddenly, you know, people are onto the next cool thing and then your course isn't as cool as it used to be or something. So I think that has brought a lot of stability to our lives for sure. And interestingly, that's exactly what you're helping your customers to do with Access Ally to create membership programs. I know not, that's not what everyone does with Access Ally, but you can create membership pro programs with it, which would create the same recurring revenue. And a membership program is kind of similar to a software as a service business model. Most people wouldn't really consider it to be a software, but it's kind of an educational software or an educational platform. A hundred percent. And I just interviewed one of our, our other clients and she was saying that she releases like a new version of her membership every couple of months. And she actually gives it like a version number as if it was releasing a new mm. software and like, <laughs> here are the new features inside the membership site. So yeah, there's totally ways to use that same concept in a membership where you're creating content or, you know, maybe having group calls and things. So yeah, I think there's a lot of stability in that membership model for sure too. So if someone is thinking that this business model sounds interesting to them, maybe they are interested in doing it themselves, it can be a bit intimidating, right, with needing to have some skills or at least some knowledge of how software development works so that you are aware of what is being built and aware of the product, you know, like, well, have a deeper understanding of the product that you're selling. So I guess I'll just point out real quick to the listeners that if you don't have that sort of knowledge, you can have a similar type of business model selling a membership program. And that could be based on any type of knowledge that you have. But Natalie, what would your advice or your thoughts be on whether someone can build a software as a service company if they aren't a software developer themselves? What challenges would they face? Do you think it's possible or a good idea for them to do that? Um, or is it maybe too risky? I've seen people do it successfully by partnering with someone that has the tech skills. And I think that's a really smart way to go because you do want to have someone that's going to be there long term that understands or at least has built the foundation of the software that you're going to be selling because you could absolutely hire someone to just build a prototype and maybe hire more people to maintain it over time. And I think that could definitely work, too. But if ever that person leaves or, you know, you can't find someone quickly to make changes, I feel like you're kind of stuck in a hard situation. So I would say finding a partner that's on the technical side, I think, is a really great way to go. And I've seen people do that, too. You know, maybe one person is kind of the marketing side and one person is the developer side. And that tends to work really well because you have that long term uh, relationship with this person. You know that they'll be able to kind of maintain it and also, it is a bit tricky if you're not a technical person to think of an idea and then to try to estimate how long or how hard it'll be to, to do because a lot of times we're like, oh, adding a button there, that'll just take 10 minutes. But then you don't know that there's like this whole database that does all this other stuff under the hood. And, you know, there might be a lot more complicated issues that you don't have uh, an understanding of. So I think that's why having a technical person on your team uh, that's going to be there long term, I think is a way better, <laughs> way better plan for people for sure. 
I'm sure that comes along with some challenges of its own. I know that running a partnership tends to be more challenging for a variety of reasons than being the sole owner of your company. A hundred percent. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, we're, my husband and I are, you know, on the same team. So that, <laughs> that helps a lot when it comes to, you know, being in all in and, you know, being on the same page. We do sometimes argue about <laughs> what we're doing, but really? I feel like because we have the personal <laughs> relationship, it's a little bit easier to have the professional relationship too. Uh, but yeah, I've, I'm kind of always careful when I recommend people to partner because I think it's really, really important to get clear on your vision for the business and what you want to do with it, especially with a software business, because sometimes people want to exit after they build it to a certain point. Um, and so you need to kind of both be on the same page. You know, what's the agreement if one of you wants to leave or buy the other person out? Uh, and just kind of making that clear and writing that down in an agreement before you put in like hours or years of work. And then you realize, wait, we're both stuck or we're not happy with how it's going. So I definitely think that needs to be done before um, you go full steam ahead on it, for sure. Well, let's move on to talking a little bit more about Access Ally itself and how you run the company and what your business model looks like. So let's start with the marketing side of things. What does your marketing system look like? How do you initially attract customers and how do you turn them into paying customers? We mainly do organic you know, list building and lead generation. So we do you know, social media marketing, we have a pretty strong SEO presence. So a lot of times people find us when they're comparing other options to each other. And, you know, with software, people do research before they buy. So we find that that's a very good way to get people in the door. Um, and then, yeah, we have, you know, a YouTube channel. We have all kinds of other things that we've done. We had a podcast for a while, um, which we probably will be kicking off again. But we basically have a lot of content that's going out there all the time. And we've done advertising in the past. And I've basically decided that I don't want to be giving Facebook any more money. <laughs> so that's essentially <laughs> why we, we stopped doing advertising. And uh, we just didn't feel like we wanted to track people who come to our website and re mm -hmm. retarget them and stuff like that. We were just like, we want to be kind of all above board in terms of how we feel about our marketing. And so that's why we kind of slowed down on the on the Facebook advertising side. But yeah, we've done all kinds of things from webinars to uh, we have a demo on our website. So when people come in, if they're kind of curious and they want to see what it's like, they can opt in. And then it's like a full experience using Access Ally of what it does. They can kind of watch videos about it, earn points and basically go through this gamified experience that shows them what Access Ally can do. And then we also have a full-time salesperson on our team. So she books discovery calls. So if someone just wants to get on the phone and they're like, I've done all my research, but I'm still not sure if this is right for us, then we'll do a little demo and kind of show them what's possible and also answer specific questions. Because a lot of times with software, you want to make sure that something's going to work with other systems that you have, or you have something in mind that you really want to do, and you're just not quite sure based on what you're reading, if it's going to do the thing that you're after. When you're first starting out, it seems like things like setting up your website, registering your business name, designing branding, and setting up your business social media accounts are the things that you need to do to grow your business. But the truth is that these tasks don't grow anything. They're simply the necessary setup you have to do before you could start working to grow. They're things you have to do to get started, but they're not things that make you any money. What's worse, according to a recent study we conducted, a whopping 43% of people still hadn't completed the setup phase even after working on it for six months. That's six plus months invested into working on your business when you could have been making money but weren't. It shouldn't be that way. And it doesn't have to. 
The truth is that you can check all these necessary steps off your to-do list for good in just four weeks. And then you can move on to the work that actually makes you money and grows your business. I'd love to show you how to get this done and to help you do it. In just a few weeks, we're kicking off our brand new business accelerator program called Set Up Shop. It's a four-week program for new business owners who are ready to quickly take care of all those steps of setting up their business, registering it to make it legal, and creating a solid foundation to grow it to six figures and beyond. Pre-registration for Setup Shop is open now, and we have a special early bird rate available for those who sign up early. Class starts May 1st, so check the episode description for the link to register or head to gillianperkins.com slash setupshop. You mentioned that opt-in that you have that allows people to try out Access Ally and then also that people can book a discovery call. Are those pretty much the only ways that you generate leads or at least the main ones? Those are like the ones that work the best in terms of converting to sales. <laughs> we also have other opt-ins that people can download. So we have, you know, blog upgrades that people can kind of download extra things that are related to a blog post, like a template, mm-hmm. uh, email templates and all kinds of things like that. We also have um, another PDF that has more examples of different types of membership sites that people might be interested in building. And then we also have our seamless scaling series that people can opt in to receive notifications about that too. So we have other ways that are not super tied to Access Ally, but those two that I mentioned are the ones where it's like very intent on sales, essentially. Like we know people are curious about the software and they're more mm-hmm. likely to buy from those entry points. So when someone signs up for one of those other kind of random different opt-in offers, when I assume you're sending them emails afterward to try to lead them to that sale. Are you trying to, like, I guess is your call to action by Access Ally or is it to get them on a discovery call or to try out that free trial? It depends. We'll try different things. So we do have like a newsletter, what we call it a newsletter, but it's essentially different types of emails where some of them are pure content and some of them are more sales oriented. And we do just send people straight to the pricing page or the features page. We do also mention um, every now and then if calls are slow, we'll be like, hey, we'll just do a push about booking a call Mm -hmm. so that that way we always have people coming in um, in all the different ways. And yeah, we also have, I forgot to mention, our 30 day list building challenge. So that's an opt in that I created Oh man, almost a decade ago, which is crazy <laughs> wow. to think about. But it is—it's um, another entry point that people come in, and um, it's basically a thirty-day quick video a day on how to build your email list. And that one has a very social kind of sharing aspect to it. So people join, and then they want their friends to do it with them. So they invite other people. And the way that challenge is designed is a little bit more to sell our pop-up ally plugin than access ally but the whole experience is in an access ally site so sometimes people are like oh my gosh like how do i do this and then they'll like click through and find out more about access ally one more aspect of this i am curious about and then we'll move on i promise for marketing but i'm curious about what that sales call process looks like what what you described sounded like it was very informational and just answering their questions is it that simple or do you have any sort of closing strategy or any other thing that tries to get accomplished on those calls. That's something we're constantly iterating and changing and testing. So right now, what it looks like is we get on a call first and then we ask the person a couple of questions to just figure out if they're a good fit for the product. So, you know, are they on WordPress? Do they use a certain type of CRM? Um, Do they have courses or not yet? You know, just kind of sussing out if they're actually ready for Access Ally, because a lot of times people 
need to have like a minimum viable product before they try Access Ally or kind of have a little bit of experience with certain aspects before they totally jump into Access Ally. Um, and then based on like, yes, if they move on, no, then we'll recommend something else to them. And it's very like non-salesy. We're like, hey, we don't think it's going to be the right fit for today, but we have this whole thing of comparison pages. So feel free to go and check out our competitors that might be a better fit for you. And then if yes, if they are a good fit, then we go into a more of a demo where we actually show them like, this is what it can do um, based on what you said you're looking for. This is how you would do this. So we kind of give them a little bit more of that kind of show me. <laughs> I think everyone wants to see what it's going to be like, right? So mm -hmm. I think that's that, that part of it. And then in terms of actually closing the sale, you know, we do sometimes offer um, a special price or something like that to kind of get people off the fence, you know, just for that that first uh, first month just to get them to try it. And we might have a trial or something like that that we offer. It's something we're always testing. So, so if you come on a call with us, it might be completely different. <laughs> so when it comes to closing these customers, then, you know, every month you're getting new customers, of course. I'm curious both how many new customers you're typically acquiring on a monthly basis just at this point. But I'm also wondering what sort of, I don't know, threshold or barriers there are there. Are you able to accept a virtually unlimited number of customers, like however many customers come your way in any given month? Or are there any sort of caps or, like I said, kind of barriers that you run into? So we tend to get between 20 and 40-ish customers, um, depending on the month. So it really depends on, it's very like seasonal sometimes. So, you know, with COVID actually it increased like rapidly. Mm -hmm. um, and it was kind of a tricky time also because everyone had their kids at home. <laughs> and so it kind of like <laughs> caused some interesting, you know, time time management, juggling kind of things. But yeah, for the most part, I don't think we have a ton of limits or impediments for getting, you know, a bunch of new clients at the same time. I think the thing that is a little bit tricky is just onboarding people. And we do have a pretty good onboarding system in place. So we kind of have a little checklist that walks you through when you first sign up to figure out all the systems, how they hook up together and downloading the plugin and installing it and just, you know, making sure everything's integrated and working from the get go. And then we also have uh, sort of like a welcome party, uh, which we call it. And then we basically just have as many people as join that week, or sometimes we do it every two weeks, depending on how many people are coming in. So then people can come and join that call and get the help they need if they are, you know, just struggling to get those first couple of things set up. And then, um, yeah, we also have tune-up calls. So that's something that people can join at any point. We do multiple of them per month. And so... I don't feel like we have a cap or that we've met that cap yet. <laughs> so I don't feel like um, that's too much of an issue. And then usually once people are onboarded, then it's a lot easier. And, you know, they might come back to us with questions as they're adding things or using more advanced features. But for the most part, it's pretty stable once everyone's kind of in and using everything. It seems like something that's somewhat unique about your company is that it's not exactly just software as a service. It's almost software and a service because of the highly customizable uh, nature of your platform. I'm sure that your users, I know we always have lots of questions and run into problems, not with the software itself, but with like how can they use it and how can they make it do what they want. And so I could see that onboarding those new customers, if you had more um, at a time than you were set up to handle could potentially be an issue. And that's why we have currently our two full-time support people. And then we also have our salesperson, which uh, basically she's the one who does our tune-up calls and does the welcome parties. So yeah, we have enough people for the moment for you know the volume that we have where it makes sense. And then if ever things start wrapping up, 
like more and more and more, then we'll definitely hire more people for that side of the of the business for sure. So let's move on to talking about expenses. I'm curious, what are the biggest expenses when it comes to running a software as a service company? So we are very people heavy in our business. So we, you know, obviously we pay for software and hosting and like kind of the usual things for an online business. But I would say probably 80% of our expenses is team. So, you know, obviously myself and my husband work, you know, full time in the business. And then we also have our people, basically our team lead, people ops. Um, we have two support, one sale another full-time developer, a product manager, and then we also have interns sometimes, which are paid interns. So um, like the last term we had three paid interns, this time we have two. So those are all people on our team. So that's like eight full-time plus two or three interns, depending on what's going on. What's your goal with having the interns on your team? It's actually kind of giving back part of it because myself and my husband were both interns at the same school. So we kind of went back to our, our university and our hiring from there um, and just kind of giving people opportunities to work in different places. The other part is the interns are just super smart. They have so much energy and passion. And I'm always so surprised by like the ideas they come up with and the things that they, they can do so quickly. So that's, you know, it's, they're amazing basically. <laughs> and then um, beyond that also our goal is to have interns and then hopefully when they uh, graduate, then they will join our company. So we already have one person who's joining uh, in the spring and that was because she was an intern with us first. You know, we get to know each other a bit better and it's a lot easier to hire someone that you've worked with full time than to try to find and post on like these huge job boards for developers. And also they already know our product by the time they join full time. So it's just a way easier onboarding for the team side of things too. Beyond payroll, do you have any other significant expenses? To be honest, no. <laughs> like we have, we have mainly just like a couple of software things. You know, we pay for really good premium hosting. Um, I mean, like we pay our accountants and we have a couple other like things like that, bookkeeping. But yeah, like the biggest expense is team. And actually I kind of enjoy that because I feel like we can provide a good livelihood for other people as our business grows and we can kind of keep growing the team and obviously keep making the software better as we have more developers. And so we recently hired the product manager and she kind of took over part of my role, which was, you know, making sure that we're building the software that makes sense for people who are using it. And uh, it's been amazing just like what we've been able to do now that I'm not the, the bottleneck <laughs> there anymore because we have, you know, a community feature coming out soon. We have, you know, so many things that, I wouldn't have been able to manage all on my own. So to have someone dedicated to that has been just amazing. <laughs> what would you say are the main tasks that impact your business's revenue? Okay, so I think definitely marketing and sales are kind of the, the engine of the actual revenue. But the balance is that if we don't have a good product, then we don't make the sales. So for us, it's definitely a balance of having good releases with good um, features and, you know, kind of making sure that we keep up with the market and the industry, because I feel like online courses are constantly changing and, you know, things are need to get better and more interesting for the learners too, right? Because we don't want people to get bored and done with online courses. We want to have those great learning experiences. So just making sure that we can keep pushing the envelope on that development side and making sure that it's still the powerful, flexible, awesome software that we want it to be. Um, so yeah, I think we, and sometimes we're like, okay, is this feature going to make us money? And the answer is usually no, <laughs> because no one's going to buy the software just for one feature. But if we don't have it, we're probably not going to make sales. So that's kind of how we make some of those decisions. 
and uh, and also retention. So obviously we want people to stay long term with us. So if people are thinking of switching because we don't have something, that's also something that kind of goes into it. So it's a balance between, yes, like we need to do the marketing and, you know, continue to put ourselves out there and have those conversations with people who are interested, but also making sure that what we have to offer, like kind of lines up with what they're looking for. And then when it comes to your time, what are the things that take the largest amount of your time each week? Basically, the way I think of my role as it is today is the kind of the spokesperson for the company. So that's doing, you know, interviews like these, um, interviews with other people in our space, and um, also creating content or sharing kind of our opinion about like how things are in the marketplace and how things could be or should be. Um, and then also coordinating with the team. So we do have someone who's our team lead and she does most of the kind of HR and like people side of things, but it's still important for me to make sure that I'm communicating with the team on a regular basis. So we do have meetings with different people quite a bit. And just, you know, it's also because I've been obviously starting this company and, you know, for over a decade, I know the product very well. So as we have new people, sometimes they don't know all the nuances. So that's also part of like making sure everyone's on the same page for the product too. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of setting the vision. I think so it's, it's easy for software to be like, okay, we're just gonna build what everyone keeps asking us for, but sometimes we need to take a step back and look at where do we really wanna go? And so um, being able to kind of set that vision so that everyone's on the same page in the team. And so when future requests come in, we can make the right calls. I think that's also um, kind of where my, my, my time is, is spent a little bit as well. And then obviously content creation. So making videos and all kinds of other, <laughs> other things that make, make us more visible basically. I've got one more question and that is just, could you kind of share your favorite things about your software as a service business model? And then also any of the biggest challenges or cons that you see with this business model? Maybe start with the cons so you can end on a good note. <laughs> okay. I like that. So the challenges or the cons I would say are that you're never done, right? So if, if it was like a piece of software that you shipped once and then you're like, okay, we're done, uh, you know, like we printed it on a CD or I know people don't do that anymore, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's in the mail and like, you know, people have bought it and we're done now. Um, but with software as a service, you know, there's always new features, new updates, uh, maybe an interface or an API needs to change. So it's kind of this constant thing, um, which is a challenge because it means you can't quite rest on what you've already done. Um, and so that's kind of what I would say is the challenge. But then on the flip side, I think the best parts about the business are that it doesn't require me as much. And my husband is our lead developer, so it does still require him quite a bit. But as we have more developers coming on, you know, it's really freed both of us up quite a bit as well. So we can spend time on our farm and spend time, you know, gardening and doing all these things that kind of bring a little bit of balance so that we're not always in front of the computer working. Um, so that would be a really big one for me is just kind of the balance that it's brought to our lives. And then also just I really love our customers. And I think that um, I'm definitely like in the right space, in the right industry. I just love seeing what they create, what they do with the software, what they're all about in the world and the changes, the ripple effect of what the software can do 
for the people who are using it. So I think those are probably my favorite parts of, in particular, our software business. Um, but if I had to think about kind of software businesses in general, I think there's also benefits that you're building an asset and that you could potentially sell it down the line. So I know a lot of software companies get sold. We're not looking to do that, but I think that um, there's definitely some benefits to that too. So you can build something. And if you're kind of in that, like I love building and getting the momentum going, but I don't like running it, then you can sell it to someone else who loves to just have a stable business and maybe they'll keep the developers on and kind of keep it going. Um, so yeah, I think for me, I enjoy running the business. I enjoy our team and, you know, all the things that go into it. But yeah, so those are kind of pros and cons, I would say. Well, thank you so much for breaking that down and for everything else that you've shared, Natalie. This has been so interesting. We'll be sure to leave some links down in the description for this episode to Access Ally so people can learn more about it. Uh, maybe if someone is interested in trying it, they could use that demo feature that you were talking about. But thank you again so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Work Less, Earn More. Now, here's what I want you to do next. Take a screenshot of this episode you're listening to right now and share it out on your Instagram stories. And when you do, make sure you tag me at Gillian Z Perkins so I can see you're listening. Sharing on stories is going to help more people find this podcast so they too can learn how to build their business in a way that allows them to work less and earn more. And if you really love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts right now and leave Work Less, Earn More a review to give it a boost and help even more people find it. Okay, let's wrap this up. I'm Gillian Perkins, and until next week, stay focused and take action.